Section twenty three of Essays, Book three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. Essays, Book three by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton of vanity part six whoever boasts in so sick a time as this to employ a true and sincere virtue in the world's service either knows not what it is opinions growing corrupt with manners and in truth to hear them describe it to hear the most of them glorify themselves in their deportments and lay down their rules instead of painting virtue they paint pure vice and injustice and so represent it false in the education of princes or if he does know it boasts unjustly and let him say what he will does a thousand things of which his own conscience must necessarily accuse him I should willingly take Seneca's word on the experience he made upon the like occasion, provided he would deal sincerely with me. The most honourable mark of goodness in such a necessity is freely to confess both one's own faults and those of others. With the power of its virtue to stay one's inclination towards evil, unwillingly to follow this propension to hope better to desire better i perceive that in these divisions wherein we are involved in france every one labours to defend his cause but even the very best of them with dissimulation and disguise he who would write roundly of the true state of the quarrel would write rashly and wrongly. The most just party is at best but a member of a decayed and worm-eaten body. But of such a body, the member that is least affected calls itself sound, and with good reason, forasmuch as our qualities have no title but in comparison. Civil innocence is measured according to times and places. Imagine this in Xenophon, related as a fine commendation of Agesilaus, that, being entreated by a neighbouring prince with whom he had formerly had war, to permit him to pass through his country, he granted his request, giving him free passage through Peloponnesus, and not only did not imprison or poison him, being at his mercy, but courteously received him according to the obligation of his promise without doing him the least injury or offence to such ideas as theirs this were an act of no especial note elsewhere and in another age the frankness and unanimity of such an action would be thought wonderful our monkeyish capets would have laughed at it so little does the spartan innocence resemble that of france we are not without virtuous men but 
tis according to our notions of virtue whoever has his manners established in regularity above the standard of the age he lives in let him either rest or blunt his rules or which i would rather advise him to let him retire and not meddle with us at all what will he get by it egregium sanctumque virum si cerno bimembri hoc monstrum puero et miranti iam subaratro piscibus inventis et fetae comparo mulae if i see an exemplary and good man i liken it to a two-headed boy or a fish turned up by the plough or a teeming mule juvenal thirteen sixty four one may regret better times but cannot fly from the present we may wish for other magistrates but we must notwithstanding obey those we have and peradventure tis more laudable to obey the bad than the good so long as the image of the ancient and received laws of this monarchy shall shine in any corner of the kingdom there will i be if they unfortunately happen to thwart and contradict one another so as to produce two parts of doubtful and difficult choice i will willingly choose to withdraw and escape the tempest in the meantime nature or the hazards of war may lend me a helping hand betwixt caesar and pompey i should frankly have declared myself but as amongst the three robbers who came after a man must have been necessitated either to hide himself or have gone along with the current of the time which i think one may fairly do when reason no longer guides quo diversus abis whither dost thou run wandering aeneid five one hundred sixty six this medley is a little from my theme i go out of my way but tis rather by license than oversight my fancies follow one another but sometimes at a great distance and look towards one another but tis with an oblique glance i have read a dialogue of plato of the like motley and fantastic composition the beginning about love and all the rest to the end about rhetoric they fear not these variations and have a marvellous grace in letting themselves be carried away at the pleasure of the wind or at least to seem as if they were the titles of my chapters do not always comprehend the whole matter they often denote it by some mark only as these others andrea unicus or these scylla cicero torquatus i love a poetic progress by leaps and skips tis an art as plato says light nimble demoniac there are pieces in plutarch where he forgets his theme where the proposition of his argument is only found by incidents 
stuffed and half-stifled in foreign matter. Observe his footsteps in the daemon of Socrates. O oh God, how beautiful are these frolicsome sallies, those variations and digressions, and all the more when they seem most fortuitous and careless. Tis the indiligent reader who loses my subject, and not I. There will always be found some word or other in a corner that is to the purpose, though it lie very close. I ramble indiscreetly and tumultuously. My style and my wit wander at the same rate. He must fool it a little who would not be deemed wholly a fool, say both the precepts, and, still more, the examples of our masters. A thousand poets flag and languish after a prosaic manner, but the best old prose, and I strew it here up and down indifferently for verse, shines throughout with the lustre, vigour, and boldness of poetry, and not without some air of its fury. And certainly prose ought to have the preeminence in speaking. The poet, says Plato, seated upon the muse's tripod, pours out with fury whatever comes into his mouth, like the pipe of a fountain, without considering and weighing it and things escape him of various colours, of contrary substance, and with an irregular torrent. Plato himself is throughout poetical, and the old theology, as the learned tell us, is all poetry, and the first philosophy is the original language of the gods. I would have my matter distinguish itself, it sufficiently shows where it changes, where it concludes, where it begins, and where it rejoins, without interlacing it with words of connection introduced for the relief of weak or negligent ears, and without explaining myself. Who is he that had not rather not be read at all than after a drowsy or cursory manner? Nihil est tam utile, quod in transitu prosit. Nothing is so useful as that which is cursorily so. Seneca, Epistle 2. If to take books in hand were to learn them, to look upon them were to consider them, and to run these slightly over were to grasp them, I were then to blame to make myself out so ignorant as I say I am. Seeing I cannot fix the attention of my reader by the weight of what I write, manco male, if I should chance to do it by my intricacies. Nay, but he will afterwards repent that he ever perplexed himself about it. Tis very true but he will yet be there perplexed. And besides, there are some humours in which comprehension produces disdain, who will think better of me for not understanding what I say, 
and will conclude the depth of my sense by its obscurity, which, to speak in good sooth, I mortally hate, and would avoid it if I could. Aristotle boasts somewhere in his writings that he affected it, a vicious affectation. The frequent breaks into chapters that I made my method in the beginning of my book, having since seemed to me to dissolve the attention before it was raised, as making it disdain to settle itself to so little. I, upon that account, have made them longer, such as require proposition and assigned leisure. In such an employment, to whom you will not give an hour, you give nothing, and you do nothing for him for whom you only do it whilst you are doing something else. To which may be added that I have, peradventure, some particular obligation to speak only by halves, to speak confusedly and discordantly. I am therefore angry at this trouble-feast reason, and its extravagant projects that worry one's life, and its opinions, so fine and subtle, though they be all true, I think too dear bought and too inconvenient. On the contrary, I make it my business to bring vanity itself in repute, and folly too, if it produce me any pleasure, and let myself follow my own natural inclinations, without carrying too strict a hand upon them. I have seen elsewhere houses in ruins, and statues both of gods and men. These are men still. Tis all true, and yet, for all that, I cannot so often revisit the tomb of that so great and so puissant city that I do not admire and reverence it. The care of the dead is recommended to us. Now I have been bred up from my infancy with these dead. I had knowledge of the affairs of Rome long before I had any of those of my own house. I knew the capital and its plan before I knew the Louvre, and the Tiber before I knew the Seine. The qualities and fortunes of Lucullus, Metellus, and Scipio have ever run more in my head than those of any of my own country. They are all dead. So is my father as absolutely dead as they, and is removed as far from me and life in eighteen years as they are in sixteen hundred, whose memory, nevertheless, friendship and society, I do not cease to embrace and utilize with a perfect and lively union. Nay, of my own inclination, I pay more service to the dead. They can no longer help themselves, and therefore, methinks, the more require my assistance. Tis there that gratitude appears in its full luster. The benefit is not so generously bestowed where there is retrogradation and reflection. Archesilaus, going to visit Tisibius, who was sick, 
and finding him in a very poor condition, very finely conveyed some money under his pillow, and, by concealing it from him, acquitted him, moreover, from the acknowledgment due to such a benefit. Such as have merited from me friendship and gratitude have never lost these by being no more. I have better and more carefully paid them when gone and ignorant of what I did. I speak most affectionately of my friends when they can no longer know it. I have had a hundred quarrels in defending Pompey and for the cause of Brutus. This acquaintance yet continues betwixt us. We have no other hold even on present things but by fancy. Finding myself of no use to this age, I throw myself back upon that other, and am so enamoured of it that the free, just, and flourishing state of that ancient Rome, for I neither love it in its birth nor its old age, interests and impassionates me, and therefore I cannot so often revisit the sights of their streets and houses, and those ruins profound even to the antipodes, that I am not interested in them. Is it by nature, or through error of fancy, that the sight of places which we know to have been frequented and inhabited by persons whose memories are recommended in story, moves us in some sort more than to hear a recital of their acts or to read their writings. Tantavis admonitionis inest in locis, et idquidem in hac urbe infinitum, quacumque enim ingredimur, in aliquam historiam vestigium ponimus. So great a power of reminiscence resides in places, and that truly in this city infinite, for which way soever we go we find the traces of some story. Cicero Definibus, 5, 1, 2. It pleases me to consider their face, bearing, and vestments. I pronounce those great names betwixt my teeth, and make them ring in my ears. Ego illos veneror et tantis nominibus semper asurgo. I reverence them, and always rise to so great names. Seneca, Epistle 64. Of things that are in some part great and admirable, I admire even the common parts. I could wish to see them in familiar relations, walk and sup. It were ingratitude to contemn the relics and images of so many worthy and valiant men as I have seen live and die, and who, by their example, give us so many good instructions, knew we how to follow them. And, moreover, this very Rome that we now see deserves to be beloved, so long and by so many titles allied to our crown. The only common and universal city, 
the sovereign magistrate that commands there is equally acknowledged elsewhere tis the metropolitan city of all the christian nations the spaniard and frenchman is there at home to be a prince of that state there needs no more but to be of christendom wheresoever there is no place upon earth that heaven has embraced with such an influence and constancy of favour her very ruins are grand and glorious laudandis pretiosior ruinis more precious from her glorious ruins sidonius apollinaris carmina twenty three narbo line sixty two she yet in her very tomb retains the marks and images of empire ut palam sit uno in loco gaudentis opus esse naturae that it may be manifest that there is in one place the work of rejoicing nature pliny natural history three five some would blame and be angry at themselves to perceive themselves tickled with so vain a pleasure our humours are never too vain that are pleasant let them be what they may if they constantly content a man of common understanding i could not have the heart to blame him i am very much obliged to fortune in that to this very hour she has offered me no outrage beyond what i was well able to bear is it not her custom to let those live in quiet by whom she is not importuned quanto quisque sibi plura negaverit a diis plura feret nil cupientium nudus castra peto multa petentibus desunt multa the more each man denies himself the more the gods give him poor as i am i seek the company of those who ask nothing they who desire much will be deficient in much horace odes three sixteen twenty one forty two if she continue her favour she will dismiss me very well satisfied nihil supra deus laceso i trouble the gods no farther horace odes two eighteen eleven but beware a shock there are a thousand who perish in the port i easily comfort myself for what shall here happen when i shall be gone present things trouble me enough fortunae caetera mando i leave the rest to fortune ovid metamorphoses two one hundred forty besides i have not that strong obligation that they say ties men to the future by the issue that succeeds to their name and honour and peradventure ought less to covet them if they are to be so much desired i am but too much tied to the world and to this life of myself 
i am content to be in fortune's power by circumstances properly necessary to my being without otherwise enlarging her jurisdiction over me and have never thought that to be without children was a defect that ought to render life less complete or less contented a sterile vocation has its conveniences too children are of the number of things that are not so much to be desired especially now that it would be so hard to make them good bona jam nec nasci licet ita corrupta sunt semina nothing good can be born now the seed is so corrupt tertullian de pudicita and yet they are justly to be lamented by such as lose them when they have them he who left me my house in charge foretold that i was like to ruin it considering my humour so little inclined to look after household affairs but he was mistaken for i am in the same condition now as when i first entered into it or rather somewhat better and yet without office or any place of profit as to the rest if fortune has never done me any violent or extraordinary injury neither has she done me any particular favour whatever we derive from her bounty was there above a hundred years before my time i have as to my own particular no essential and solid good that i stand indebted for to her liberality she has indeed done me some airy favours honorary and titular favours without substance and those in truth she has not granted but offered me who god knows am all material and who take nothing but what is real and indeed massive too for current pay and who if i durst confess so much should not think avarice much less excusable than ambition nor pain less to be avoided than shame nor health less to be coveted than learning or riches than nobility amongst those empty favours of hers there is none that so much pleases vain humour natural to my country as an authentic bull of a roman burgess ship that was granted me when i was last there glorious in seals and gilded letters and granted with all gracious liberality and because tis couched in a mixed style more or less favourable and that i could have been glad to have seen a copy of it before it had passed the seal being before burgess of no city at all i am glad to be created one of the most noble that ever was or ever shall be if other men would consider themselves at the rate i do they would as i do discover themselves to be full of inanity and foppery to rid myself of it i cannot without making myself away we are all steeped in it as well one as another but they who are not aware on't 
have somewhat the better bargain, and yet I know not whether they have or no. This opinion and common usage to observe others more than ourselves has very much relieved us that way. Tis a very displeasing object. We can there see nothing but misery and vanity. Nature, that we may not be dejected with the sight of our own deformities, has wisely thrust the action of seeing outward. We go forward with the current, but to turn back towards ourselves is a painful motion. So is the sea moved and troubled when the waves rush against one another. Observe, says every one, the motions of the heavens, of public affairs. Observe the quarrel of such a person, take notice of such a one's pulse, of such another's last will and testament. In sum, be always looking high or low, on one side, before or behind you. It was a paradoxical command anciently given us by that god of Delphos. Look into yourself, discover yourself, keep close to yourself, call back your mind and will that elsewhere consume themselves into yourself. You run out, you spill yourself. Carry a more steady hand. Men betray you, men spill you, men steal you from yourself. Dost thou not see that this world we live in keeps all its sight confined within, and its eyes open to contemplate itself? Tis always vanity for thee, both within and without, but tis less vanity when less extended. Excepting thee, O man, said that God, everything studies itself first, and has bounds to its labours and desires according to its need. There is nothing so empty and necessitous as thou, who embracest the universe. Thou art the investigator without knowledge, the magistrate without jurisdiction, and, after all, the fool of the farce. End of section 23